All right, all right, all right. Grab a seat. Good to be with you. My name's Ryan. Um, hi. <laughs> hey, uh, last week we started this series uh, called Stereo. Uh, good news for a listening world. Uh, can I just see how many of you were here last week? Because then that will show me how much ground I need to... I probably should have said how many weren't here. <laughs> that would have been more helpful. Um, but here's what happened last week. We, we said this. And this is kind of one of the big ideas. It doesn't matter how powerful or beautiful the song. If it's played on the wrong platform, it just sounds like noise. It doesn't matter how beautiful or how powerful the song is. If it's played on the wrong platform, it it just sounds like a screeching noise. And I I had this little illustration. I had my phone out, and I just was playing it to myself, this song by Mumford & Sons, Awake My Soul. It's a great song. And then I had a bullhorn, and I tried to play it for you through the bullhorn, which was awesomely fun for me, but probably not so fun for you guys. And then there's a world of difference when I plugged it in, and you heard the song in stereo. And and all of a sudden, you could hear the nuances of the song. And here's what we said, is that the good news that God loves us is often played on the wrong platform. I had my neighbor come and share. My neighbor doesn't know Jesus, and he came and shared. And actually, we kind of co-taught it, uh, because his whole experience has really been kind of that bullhorn Christianity, if you will. And it's been loud, and, and has it been true? Absolutely. But the beauty of the song is lost in it. And he only heard the bullhorn reality and is very turned off. In fact, for, I've been neighbors five and a half years, and for five years, any time the topic of God that came up, it was immediately shut down. And what's neat about our community that I, I just am so honored to get to be a part of this with you guys is that together we're shaping a community where he came on Christmas Eve and said, this is the first time I've walked into a church and didn't feel guilty. And I love the environment. That's what you created. Well done. That, that people who don't know God or don't even like God would come in here and say, hey, there's something about the song they're playing. I may not understand it, but it's beautiful. Uh, that's what we hope. But he shared these three points, and there, there's these entrepreneur points. They're, they're really great, though. And as he was sharing it first in my driveway as we were talking about it, I said, hey, and this was a stretch, would you come and share it with us? And if you, I'd encourage you, go and listen to the uh, podcast or see, watch our video podcast on it, because it was a great weekend last weekend. And hopefully tonight will be okay, too. <laughs> but, but as he shared these three points with me, the one was, was identify the game worth playing. And you think about that, you know, he's thinking all business world, entrepreneurial, but, but then we just began to unpack it for us as a community. Identify the game worth playing. What is the game worth playing? And we just went to Luke and, and just looked at the Good Samaritan story where he's asked, what's the greatest command? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and that's the game worth playing. The game worth playing is a game of love, where we love God with all that we are and we love others as ourselves. And then his next point was simply this, play it full out. Don't, don't, I'm going to say this even with my parents here. We'll see how that goes. Don't half-ass it. (laughs) Don't, don't, you know, we just go through the motions so often times. Play the game full out. Don't just get caught up in just living life. And, and, And he even said there's some concerns that keep us from 
playing it full out and identify those concerns. And when you, when you realize that they're not really real, then you begin to step into what you have. And the last point, I love this one, because this is, just think about this. This is from an entrepreneur's mindset. And he's that share the amazing results with anyone within arm's reach. Think about this, because I, t- I literally told him, I said, if I could get everybody in my church to do what you just said, with the game worth playing is loving God and loving others, we could change this city. If we would just do that simple thing, it's not that complicated. Because Jesus said the platform for the song of the gospel is love. That's what he said in John 13, 34. He said, a new commandment that I give you, love one another in the way that I love you. In this, the whole world would know that you're my disciples. And Paul said, the wrong platform is no love. 1 Corinthians 13, he said, even if I speak with the tongues of angels, but have not love, I'm simply a clanging symbol. And so before we move on, I said this week we're going to talk about what, is the, what are the words to the song? Uh, the words to the song of the gospel. Before we move forward, you have to hear this. Knowing the words doesn't mean that you actually can sing it well. The platform begins with love. Because here's always my fear when we, we, when we dive into talking about the gospel, the good news. Is that we would talk about it and someone walks out of this room and just kind of goes and just boom and just lays it on someone. And all they hear it is through the bullhorn. And there's no love there. And the person who hit the other person says, man, I did my good deed. And the other person's just laying on the ground. That, that, that happens a lot, right? That happens so much that a lot of us just play the song to ourselves because that's happened so much outside, we don't know how to share the song in a way that's beautiful and powerful. So tonight, if you would, we're going to do some work. If you get your notes out, we, we gotta, we're going to do some work together. Uh, and what are the words to the song? And in doing that, I'm going to do something I've never done, at least in teaching style, is I want to do a little bit of a word study with you. I want to do a word study on, on the word gospel. And we said it, it's this Greek word, euangelion. Just try that. You tried it last week with me. Try it again. Can you say euangelion? Man, you're becoming better Greek scholars this week. That's good. That's good. And euangelion literally means good news. It also it has this sense of news that makes one happy. Information that causes one joy. Think about this. Words that bring a smile. A message that causes the heart to be sweet. See, that's the gospel. That's the good news that we're invited into and invited to share. It's supposed to be news that makes one smile, that is sweet to the heart. Now, if you look at how it's been used over the years, and you look, you start back in, in the Hebrew culture, they believed that words carried power and affected what it proclaims. And, and this word gospel, you know, bad news brings sorrow and good news causes joy. is most often used uh, in, in the Hebrew literature the, in the way the Greeks used it. And the Greeks used euangelion as a technical term. And the technical term is news of a victory. And, and literally this word, the gospel or good news, the euangelion, happened this way, is that when they were out on battle and, and the, the team, not team, I guess we do team, the nation won, they would send a runner who would run as fast as he could to the city to pronounce the euangelion, victory, 
has, has come. We won the war, and the whole town would erupt in a celebration. But then you move on as this word as began to morph, and as in the Roman culture, they had something known as the imperial cult. And it was in the imperial cult where Rome began to change the meaning of the term euangelion. In the imperial cult of Rome, the emperor is, the, is divine by nature. He was considered God. His power extends to men, to animals, to the earth, and to the sea. He is known as the savior of the world, appearing to earth as, as a deity in human form. You notice the connections here, huh? Because this is probably the most important definition for us and where we're at. He is the protective God of the state. Every citizen within the Roman territory must declare Caesar is Lord. Nuangelion, his appearance is the cause of good fortune for the whole kingdom. Extraordinary signs accompanied the course of his life, supposedly. They proclaimed the birth of the ruler of the world. A comet appears at his ascension. It's interesting. Jesus had a star appear, not at his ascension, but really his descending from heaven to earth. It's a complete role reversal, isn't it? And at his death, signs in heaven declare his assumptions into the ranks of the gods. What he says is a divine act and implies good and salvation for men. This euangelion is celebrated with offerings and festivals yearly. Think about that. So in the day when Paul wrote this in the New Testament, in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the euangelion, as he wrote to the Romans in the center of the imperial cult where Caesar is declared Lord and no other. And Paul writes to that small church there, I am not ashamed, not of the euangelion, this good news about Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of all. Talk about one bold statement when you're comparing Caesar, the current king in power, and Christ, who was crucified by the Roman government. And he says, not, not ashamed is literally saying, I'm proud of. I'm here. And so the question then is, what is this euangelion? What, what is this good news? And why is it so powerful? What is this good news that, that, that Paul would go to the center of the imperial cult and declare that he's not ashamed of it? What is so profound and so good that, that it makes him choose the good news even though it might give him a bad time? If you got your Bibles, would you do this with me? I'm going to take you to uh, probably one of the most overused verses in the Bible. And there's a danger with that because when something's common, we dismiss it. When something's so familiar, we hear it, and then it just goes out the other ear. We don't allow it to actually sink deeply in. We don't allow it to affect change. And so here's what I'd encourage you. Open up to John, and if you don't know where John is, just start all the way over here and just start flipping uh, until you get to, you'll see like... Romans, actually, and then Acts, and then, then John. In John 3.16, you ever heard that passage before? Anyone? Yeah? Maybe a couple of you? Yeah. 
you seen it at a football game? That used to be popular. I don't think, do they do that anymore at the end zone? Somebody holding up the John 3.16 sign? Guess not. <laughs> Guess not. Uh, would you just sit back? Let me read this. Let this verse, because if you grew up in church world, you know the verse. And even if you didn't, you know the reference, and it's just so common or so familiar that, that we miss how profound it is. Listen to this. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the euangelion. That's the good news that, that brings a smile to the heart. That, that in one sentence is the gospel. That in one sentence is why Paul would say to Rome, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is good news, sweet to the soul. Because our, our, our concept of God, isn't it, when we start with that for God so loved the world, uh, it, it really isn't for God so loved a lot of times, is it? It's maybe God is just waiting to pounce on you, waiting for you to mess up. It's the God that you just go, you know what, is out to get you or against you. Isn't that kind of our normal concept of God? God ready to knock you the minute you mess up. And he says that God's fundamental attitude towards you is one of love. You know, in the ancient world, uh, there wasn't this concept outside of Judaism of this relationship with God. Gods were not something to have a relationship with. Talk about what's sweet news because the gods were there to appease. And you lived under this fear of appeasing the gods. And so you would bring in your offerings hoping that your land would be prosperous that year. And sometimes the gods were there to manipulate. And so you would bring in certain offerings because you wanted to make that person sick. Or, you know, you didn't like that neighbor and you wanted them to... To die, and so you would do all kinds of crazy stuff, and the gods were either there to appease or to manipulate, and now this revolutionary good news that there is a God out there that doesn't act on their own behalf, but loves you. Talk about good news. It is not common. It is deeply profound. And then you have the most inclusive statement and as Christians, we've often been criticized for being inclusive and intolerant. And God says, my heart affection isn't towards a certain type of people, isn't towards ha those who have it all together. My heart affection is for the world. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter you know, even what you've done. He says, my heart affection and attitude towards you is one of love for everyone right where you're at. See, isn't that news? It's God that makes you smile. And then, and then he said this, this next line, and this is, this is, I think, one of the most powerful lines. He 
gave. For God so loved the world, he gave. You, you know, all other religion, and religion is just simply God, a man working their way to God, trying to earn, trying to work and earn their way to somehow be right with God. All religions work that way. And, and God says, I want something better than a religion. I want a relationship. And what that means is you can't work your way to me. I have to work my way to you. So I gave my only son for you. That's the euangelion. That is the good news. And one single profound statement, that is the news that shook the early world and that continues to echo. That is the news that causes us to gather and causes Christians around the world to gather. That is the news that causes those in China to be persecuted and to go into secret churches and meet at the sake of their life because it is so good, it is worth their very lives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him Notice that. Did you see that? Believes. I love that. It it isn't this getting it right. Once you get perfect, then you come to me. It, It isn't this, well, you need to do step A, B, C, and D, and then maybe. Jump through these hoops. He says, if you'll just believe in me. You have life. Now, here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. Is, is I, want, I want to share with you how I share this news with people that I'm just kind of talking with. And then talk about a couple of reasons why we don't often share. If, if this is really such good news, why we don't often share this. And so in your notes, you, you got this thing, and I, I brought a, uh, yeah, you can go to black if you would, on the, on the, I figured we'd do this a little bit classroom style. And by the way, I'm going to make you work a little bit, okay? Oh. <laughs> it's like I just got out of school, I don't have to. Because here's one thing that I always have in my pocket and a lot of you have noticed one of my pants has a like ink stain right here. It's from a year and a half ago. So you can go ahead and let me know that my pen is not leaking. You can stop that. Everyone comes up to me, oh, your pen leaked. Because I always have a pen in my pocket. And I generally meet with people in like a Starbucks or a Pete's or something like that. And so there's always a napkin. I actually learned the napkin thing from my dad. And so I always have a pen and I always have a napkin so I can always draw a picture. And to share this good news, because I think one of the hard questions that we have is, if you noticed it, and I kind of skipped over it because we're going to do this, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. Well, why? What's the big deal? Why am I on such bad terms with God? Because a lot of us live with this mindset, or a lot of the world at least does, this myth that if I'm good enough... God will let me in, right? I'm basically a good person, so why shouldn't God let me in? 
And so there's just simply this little, and I call it the bridge illustration. And so you have this right here. And I'm just going to draw what you have right there. And on one side of the chasm over here, you have God. Can you see it? Okay, we'll get it in the middle. Uh, you have God over here. Perfect, righteous, true. On the other side of the chasm, you have me. And I like to draw a little stick figure because that's about as far as my artistic ability goes. And now we're sinking down the page. At the bottom of your notes there, you have Romans 6.23. Here's what it says. It says, for the wages of sin... Sin is just simply missing the mark. Sin is violating the will of God. All of us have missed the mark. All of us, we don't even keep our own rules, let alone God's rules. We understand that all of us actually can understand that. And, and here's one simple way uh, that I can help you. How many in this room have ever said the word, I'm sorry? Just raise your hand. Go ahead. Okay. So you have all admitted that you couldn't even keep your own rules, Right? There you go. So if we can't even keep our own rules, let alone keeping God's standard, we can't hold our own self, ourselves to our own standard, let alone God's standard. It says the wages of that, what we earn, just think of that. I mean, what you deserve as a result for what you've done. It says is this, death. Death just literally means Separation. Sin always brings separation. It, it, it always brings separation in a relationship. You ha you, we have it all the time in our relationships, and it brings this separation. And it brings separation with God. And that the wages of what we've done, what we earn, really means that we are separated from God. Now, what man has tried to do is work their way to God. I got another color. And, and so, you know, that's what I just talked about earlier, religion. You just try to work your way to God, but it falls short. And you're like, well, why does it fall short? Well, I'll explain it in just a second. Or just a, a good moral life. Because back to that good person myth. One of the questions you should ask, because we're really smart people. You're really smart. And sometimes we buy into these things and don't think them through. You ever ask the question about a good person, like, well, how good is good enough then? Because wouldn't it suck to, like, be one shy? <laughs> like, you get up to heaven and you're good, but just not quite good enough? <laughs> That'd be terrible. And here's the reality of what sin does in our life. Because it places us in a place where we can't actually repay. And take for Ryder, for example, and I've used this illustration once before, so you may have heard it. But imagine Ryder riding his bike, which he does, and a little bit erratic, which he does. He's five years old, for those who don't know. And imagine him riding around, and he's a real erratic on his bike, and he just slams into our car and puts a big old dent and scratch into our car. He comes to me and says, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, okay, yes, son. I'll pay for it. Okay. Well, how are you going to pay for it? 
And so he goes to his room. He says, I'm going to clean my room every day. He comes out the first day, cleans his room. He says, Dad, did I pay for the car? Well, no. See, I, I actually have to take the car down to the auto body shop, and I have to get an estimate, and they're going to tell me it's like $3,000, and I should actually total the car from one little bike scratch, whatever. And, and, <laughs> and it's gonna, I have to get out my own money and pay for it. See, no amount of rider cleaning his car will, or cleaning his room will ever pay for the car. Where he's at as a five-year-old, he could never pay for it. That's our standing before God. That's why good is not good enough. It's like us just simply cleaning our room. It's not that it's not doing good deeds. It's not that it's not good. It just simply doesn't pay the price for what we did. And so we get caught in the cycle of trying to earn and work our way to God. And we always will fall short. In fact, that's what Romans 3.23 says. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And then this beautiful reality is we're caught there. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God, the euangelion, the news that we couldn't work our way to God, so God worked his way to us. He sent his own son. And if you would just do this, and you just draw, well, let me use a different color. Draw a line from God this way, and then just put a cross on there. And the bridge between us and God. And over on this side, we experience our purpose. We experience life, hope, healing, salvation, joy. He says, that's why those who believe in Christ will not perish, will not experience death, separation from God, but have life. And, and I'll just share this real simply in a coffee shop. As a, and you know the way I bring it up with friends or whatnot? I just, I, this is so simple, and sometimes it's the simple things. We make it big things. I just ask this silly question. I guess it's not really that silly, but it's just this question. It's like, has anyone ever told you about Jesus? And I feel so silly letting the words come out of my mouth and what he's done for you. No? Okay, could, would you mind if I do? Sure. And I just explain it right here like this. John, notes there, says John 5.24. It says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You know, my neighbor Todd made this profound statement last week. And he was actually encouraging two gals over here that came up after. And just think about this. Someone who's not a Christian, who actually doesn't believe in God, like challenging someone over here. And and he brought it up in the 7 o'clock service afterwards of like, this gal was like, yeah, I try to invite my so-and-so, but they never come. And he asked him, like, well, does she see any noticeable difference in your life why she should come? Uh, no. Well, then why in the world would she want to come? <laughs> it's just that simple, <laughs> right? That's why the platform makes all the difference. 
See, we're not inviting people for a life later. We're inviting people for life now. It is the king, Jesus said this all the time. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is knocking at the door, awaiting to break in here and now. And when you receive Christ into your heart and life, you step into the kingdom of God and you experience new life now. John always used eternal life here as life now and forevermore. If you just take uh, every time it says that in John, in the Gospel of John, and just write life now and forevermore, that he came to bring life now and forevermore. If you don't experience the life change of God where you experience joy and purpose and life and healing and hope, you haven't experienced the euangelion, the news of Christ, and experienced his salvation. In fact, I would just simply before we move on, invite you, if you have never received Christ as your Savior, just take this time. You can just have a personal conversation as we continue talking. Just go, Jesus, I, I long to have a relationship with you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. Would you come into my life and make me know? Give me new life. I'm putting my faith in you. He says, I will come and give you new life. What I want to do, and this is the, I, I have time, so I'm going to do it. I don't have a whole lot of time. But here's what I want to do. Because it's so easy to sit back and go, oh yeah, that was nice. Okay, good job. That was great. And you may remember, I don't know, maybe 10% of it because I see a lot of you taking notes. You know what helps you remember almost 90% of the content? Teaching. Man, we got some students in here that know. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you two minutes, and I'm going to have you turn to the person next to you, and on the back side of your notes, there's a blank space, right? You wrote in the blank space? Unbelievable. <laughs> but on the back side, for most of you, there's a blank space. I want you to take that blank space and draw out the bridge illustration and teach it to someone next to you, Okay? Joe, if you would play just a little bit of music and go ahead, I'm going to give you 10, not 10 minutes, we don't have that much time, two minutes, all right? And go ahead and teach it. And you can just do it quick, but go ahead and write it out. And, and you can go, hey, the pastor's making me do it, so this is awkward and weird, okay? And get over it. Let's go. All right, turn, go. Needed water. Huh? No. No. Yeah. Yeah, I got about five points to rip through. All right, one minute. One more minute.
All right. Now, here's the reality. My guess is for many of us in this room, this is the first time we've ever shared the Evangelion, the gospel, the good news out loud. Good game. <laughs> right? See, the, Jesus says the platform is love. What, what makes this in stereo is a life of love lived out to this world. Because not only do they get to hear it, they get to see it. But the good news is powerful. Do you notice what Paul said about the good news? He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Now, this is just one way. This is what's helpful for me. The power is not in the method. The power is not in the person. The power is not saying everything right. Do you know what the power is? Help? Anybody? The gospel, there you go. The gospel, yes, is in the, you can just flip back and read the verse. It's in the gospel. The power is in the gospel. That is a powerful truth that is desperate. We need it in our world today. So let me ask this question. Why, as we close, don't we share this more often? Why is it that for many of us, this was the first time we ever sketched out for the first time the gospel and we shared it in this way that, you know, real quick. And I, I think there's five myths that we buy into. There's probably more. And if you were here last week, it, it would be all these myths are connected to a concern or fear that we have. And I just want to go through these myths real quick because maybe you fall into it. And it might be just that identifying, this is what I've been buying into. And as a result, I have not been sharing this beautiful news with a hurting and broken world. Myth number one. Uh, five myths we buy into. First one is the tolerance myth. That's what our world is all about. It's all about tolerance. I would say there's a higher, higher value for us as Christians, not to tolerate everyone. That is such a low bar. Imagine if a friend, you say, well, do you like them? Well, I tolerate them. That is not saying much about them or you. The bar we're called to live is one of love them. Okay, thank you, mate. The tolerance myth. And this is, my faith is a private issue. You just need to know, when you stepped into this love relationship with God, your faith was never meant to be private. It is a personal relationship, but it is also public. It was never meant to be private. Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And, and it goes on to say, uh, so that you, in the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That, that you're meant to be his story of grace to the world. It's never meant to be private. It is personal, but it is always meant to be public. Myth number two is the secret agent myth. And this is, and there's some truth in here, and that's, that's the reason, you know, this, we get mixed up, is my life's my message. 
And if you get some really, like, you know, Christians who read some stuff, they quote St. Uh, Athanasius, and they say, you know, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Like, oh, that's such a good quote, you know. And you're going to post that onto your Facebook or Twitter it, you know. And, and the reality is there's times when it's necessary to use words. Your life is your message, but you must use the words to explain the gospel of why you love people. You know, First Peter said this, you know, uh, oh, forget it. I'll go back to Romans 10. I, I realized the time. I can't go on too many tangents. <laughs> Romans 10, 4. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You are carriers of this good news. Every single one of you who said, I follow Christ, you are sent ones. In fact, we're going to talk about that next week out of Matthew 28. You are sent ones of God. 1 Corinthians says you are his ambassador as though God was making his appeal through you. That you, everywhere you go, you carry the beautiful good news that God loves them. And we buy into the secret agent myth. The fear connected to both of these is what will people think? Uh, both with the tolerance myth and secret agent myth, we're so concerned about what others think about us, we say, well, you know what, is my face a private issue, or, you know, I, I'm just going to live it out but not really say anything. I don't want to make ripples. The third is superstar myth. And, and this is, the, you just want to abdicate responsibility, and you go, it's not my gift. You know, there's some people gifted with evangelism. I'm gifted with service. Sorry, we, we don't have a choice on that. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Therefore, go. Literally, how it's constructed there. As you go. So think about this, and we'll, I, I don't want to give too much. We're going to teach this passage next week. As you go about your way, disciple. That's what it's saying. As you go about your way, wherever you're going, it's not, be, it's not saying you have to... Be just like the way an evangelist is or something like that. But as you go about your way, you are to lead others to Jesus. The tolerance myth, the secret agent myth, superstar myth, then the expert myth. And, and it's the myth of I just don't know enough. And I think that's, that's valid at times. We have this fear, you know, what if they ask a question I don't know? And at times you're going, I don't know the gospel. Well, now you do. It's in one verse, John 3, 16. You've heard it a billion times, but now hopefully there is a deep connection with the beautiful, profound truth of God that he loves you. But, but here it is, John 9. If you read the passage here, it's the blind man. And we're going to actually touch on these two points next week. Uh, is talking about being sent and also talking about sharing your story. The blind man is actually, Jesus heals him. He's brought before uh, the Pharisees and brought before the, the ruling religious leaders. And they're asking him all kinds of questions. And they're trying to, you know, get Jesus and, and prove that he's not a good guy. And all he keeps going back to is like, you can say all these things you want. Here's all I know. I once was blind, but now I see. So you don't have to know enough as long as you just, all you have to do is share your story. 
Here's what God's done in my life. Yeah, yeah, I don't know all the questions. I don't even know all the answers. And I'd love to be able to chat and talk about some of those. I'll even look them up, but here's all I know. You can ask all the way. You can, you can pick away. Here's what I know. God changed my life, and I'm forever different. And I treat my spouse differently. I love my kids differently. I care about my community differently. I go about my day vastly differently because of Christ. Here's all I know. I once was blind, but now I see. That's all you need to know is what God has done in you and how powerful that is for others. And the last myth, the apathy myth. People just aren't open. The fear really here is one of rejection, isn't it? Of failing, of going out and then being rejected by others. Uh, Jesus said this. He, as he was about to send out his disciples, he told them this. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's interesting. When Jesus looked around at the world that he loves, he had a different picture than most of us. Because we live in the Silicon Valley. We live in the valley where people are busy. We live in the place where it just seems like no one really cares. And, and when Jesus looked on him, he said, The harvest is plentiful. The problem isn't the harvest. The problem is the workers. Would you pray that the more workers would go out into the harvest field? Would you pray that more of Christians in Silicon Valley would live full out for me and just begin to share it with anyone in arm's reach? Because that's how you change a city. Because there is a plentiful harvest out there. We're just not doing our part. He fundamentally saw the world different. See, the apathy myth, people just aren't open. The reality is, we don't give them a chance to be open. Maybe the reason they're not open is they've heard the gospel in the megaphone and they haven't heard it in stereo. Let me ask you this, this week, this week, would you play full out? Would you allow this week to be different? where you would look at your neighbors and say, how can I love them the way Jesus loves me? Would you look at your coworkers and say, how can I love them the way Jesus loves me? Would you look at conversations and just bring up God because he's the most important person in your life and that's the most natural thing. When I'm around people, I talk about Jenny all the time because she's my wife. It's not awkward or odd because she's my wife. It's not out of context because she's my wife. And where we would do the same, or we'd invite God into the conversation because he's our God. I want to give you something, and we've got these right here. Uh, this more than a carpenter, and this will hopefully help with your I don't know enough. And here's what I want you to do with this. Between now, if you've never read this book, between now and Easter, I'd love for you to read this book. If you're questioning God especially and, and who Jesus is, please, please, I'd, I'd ask, read it. This is, it's all on your seats. Take it. I want every person to take the one on their seat. You can even take another if you like. Don't take like 10, though. <laughs> but read it and then give it to someone. Just see what God might want to do through that where you have a conversation and go, hey, I just read this book. And it's really profound. Would you read it? 
would you be up for reading it? And then the second thing is, is this little mailer. And, and here's what I'm planning to do in my neighborhood. And I've started this, and I'd encourage you to do this. I run in my neighborhood two or three times a week, and I just realize I'm running, and while I'm running, I could be praying. And, and we talk about prayer walks sometimes. Well, I'm pray, prayer running, um, you know, and I just started running through my neighborhood, and I'm praying for my neighborhood, praying for neighbors I've never met or seen or known, and I just look at families that are coming out, and my, and my heart's beginning to break for them. And in this, there's a little QR code. Our series, we actually want to answer your questions. We created a website where you can just go and ask your questions. And so this series is going to be designed by the tough questions that you're dealing with, that your neighbor, you go, hey, ask your questions that's going on in your life, and would you bring them? And we're going to wrestle with them. And we're obviously going to categorize them and do different things like that. But but that you would, so so I'm planning on just kind of going through the neighborhood and dropping these off and hopefully having conversations with different friends and neighbors around our community. And that you'd take these and you'd allow this to be a conversation piece. Where you go to a neighbor that you don't really know, hey, we're doing this thing at church. And it's not even like you have to invite them. You go, what we'd love is we'd love for you to ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. How oftentimes we love to talk as Christians, but we don't love to hear. And we just actually say, invite, we want to hear from you. We want to answer the questions that you're asking and talk about the things that are important to you. Would, would, would you do this? And, and just hand it to them and see if they would do it. They're invested to that point. They actually might show up. If you take those two things with you. As we close... I wanted you to walk away and have memorized a passage. Now, I repeated it multiple times, John 3, 16. But here's what I did with my kids. And we've done this a couple times, and I've not been good at continuing this. But we're taking significant passages, and we actually have only done it twice. I'll always be honest. I don't want to exaggerate. Um, and, and so we sit down, and we just make up a song together to help my kids memorize it. And so we sing it, and this is their favorite one, and we sing it all the time. And so would you stand up with me? We're going to sing this song, For God So Loves the World. I'm going to, I didn't tell what's, um, Alan that I was going to borrow his guitar. But I think you'll catch on to it, and this is how we'll close. Check, check, check. Is there something I hit? Huh? <laughs> Help me out, Alan. Help me out. Where is it? It's not on me. Thank you, sir. Ah, check, check. You got all these buttons, man. <laughs> there you go. Check, 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 check. All right. Ooh, wow. So let me sing it for you, and then you'll get For God so loved the world That he gave his one and only son That whoever believes in him Shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's it. All right. Can you do that with me? So we don't have the slides up front. You can look on your card. But I want you to get this. This is the gospel. This is the good news. We should at least know one verse, right? Come on. Come on. All right, let's go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that 
our kids. There we go. Oh, how he loves me. Jesus loves you and me. Yeah. Oh, how he loves you and the world. Let's sing for God. For God so loved. There we go. That he gave his one and only son That whoever believes in him shall not But have eternal life You just memorized a verse. <laughs> God, as we go, may we carry your beautiful news and song to a hurting and broken world. May we change this city for your name's sake. May we extend the hope of glory, Christ in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Thank you. It's going out of two really fast because they're in this train. Oh, that's all right, that's all right.